0: Pastor Chris this morning is going to start us off on a new series this morning. Let's give him a warm round of applause. Welcome to the stage. Thank you. Uh, You guys can be seated except for George for a moment, please. Who's refreshed in the new year? Who'd like a bit more faith? No, you've all got enough. I tell you what, do you know how you generate faith? You do something that needs it. I got up this morning and uh, the TV was on down in the kitchen and the first thing I saw was the fact that there has been an unusual number of people getting the flu over summer. you will think, come on, this isn't even flu season. And yet I know people who are are at the moment suffering from hay fever. I spoke to somebody as I came in who's just had an MRI in their knee and I thought, You know, sometimes we need to take a stand about these things, sometimes we need to actually Exercise our faith. We need to start believing for things and acting on that belief. So, just before I begin this morning, if you're here and you're and you're suffering from a physical illness of some sort, any anything from as serious as you know an illness that you're unsure about or know that is really serious, to hay fever, which is not as serious but it can be serious, to you know a busted knee, aches, pains, whatever it is. If you if that's you, just raise your hand, and people around them just take notice, and start to lay your hands on those people because we're going to pray right now we're going to be we're going to believe we're going to exercise some faith here this morning that god is actually moving holy spirit we pray right now we thank you for your healing power we thank you that we stand in faith knowing that our illnesses are temporary they are not part of your plan but they are here to test us we can rise up and denounce them and proclaim them null and void we thank you mighty god that through the stripes you endured on the cross we can call ourselves free of sickness free of sin and healthy whole and complete in your sight right here right now in jesus name and everybody said amen now i'm not going to ask you whether you feel well or not what i need to ask you is is your faith growing do you believe that the power of god is working because, that, that, I mean, Jesus did the same thing. He, did, he said, You know, do I tell you be healed or do I say your sins are forgiven? Either way, it's our faith that actually heals us. It's not me. It's not me praying. I mean, God's possibly looking down and saying, Chris, come on, that was a crap prayer. You can do better than that. But he does, you know why he doesn't do that? knows it's not my eloquence that's doing it it's our faith in the power of God working through us never forget that thanks George you can you can be seated so we're starting off a brand new idea this year called exploring my strange bible and I know that's possibly a bit confront. I'm not implying that the Bible is strange. Yes, I, okay, I am implying that the Bible is strange uh, because it is. But often what happens is when we read the Bible, we think it's strange because it often says things that we don't think it should say or we didn't expect it to say. Have you ever sort of got that thing? Oh, I'm going to use that scripture. Yeah, that that'll be really good. And you go and read the scripture and you think doesn't say what I thought it said. I, I can't use that. And we think, we think of one that we can use because it fits with our belief system or our, our preconceived ideas. And so what, I, what we're going to do this year is we're actually going to go through the Bible and we're going to look at certain aspects of the Bible and actually dig in to biblical and scriptural truth to see if the Bible actually says what we think it says. And it may be a bit of a mind shift for some of us because we're actually going to have to think differently. Uh, now we're going to uh, try and avoid being dogmatic about presenting you with the truth because we know that you can't handle the truth. Um. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, what we're trying to do is to get people to think. The, the biggest problem with Christianity is when we become certain of things because with certainty there is no faith. We don't have to step out and and test things because we, we just know. But sometimes the things we know are incorrect. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Bible without any preconceived ideas and see if it tells us something which perhaps will empower us over this year. And so I thought I'd step right in the deep end and we're going to talk this morning about heaven and hell. Yes. And uh, I've got. A, uh, I really want to have a, a ten-part series on this, but I've got two Sundays, uh, and I love my church Sunday splits that right down the middle. So this morning, I'm going to try and get beyond the introduction, but I'm not promising anything. Uh, we may get into an important aspect of what it means to be made in the image of God, but if we don't get there, uh, not next week, but the week after, we'll get it, we'll get into that. So. Heaven and hell. Who's ever heard of heaven or hell or both? Right. Because we, we have ideas about it that are often brought to us by the Bible and by other people who think they've read the Bible and, and have given us ideas which translate into how we see heaven and hell. There's, there's great movies. There's, well, there's, there's movie, great movies and there's movies starring Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Uh, And this is the Left Behind series. Did anybody ever see the Left Behind series? You know, that's part of uh, my early parenthood, uh, I think. And um, that was was interesting. It really caught a wave of of public opinion on what what heaven was all about. But unfortunately, a lot of it is perhaps questionable. And of course, our our favourite TV series was Touched by an Angel, which gave us a totally incorrect version of what heaven is and how God operates, but who knows, it was really good fun to watch and, and yeah, let, let's not, I'm not trying to be rude about it, I actually enjoyed watching it back 20 <laughs> years ago, whenever it was on uh, but we get these ideas from heaven perhaps, perhaps you're a little more conservative and you're, you like to take things a bit easier, Michelangelo might have inspired you about your vision of heaven, and I'm sorry about the nudity in church <laughs> uh, Isn't it copyright? No, it probably isn't. Um, So we get this whole idea that there's this this picture of God reaching out to people uh, surrounded by cherubim and things. And well, I mean, if that's Adam, he looks pretty lazy, doesn't he? Um, So we've got this picture. And then, of course, there's hell. And there's people like Hieronymus Bosch, who's painted this lovely picture. The next slide. (laughs) This lovely picture which possibly didn't download. Um, okay. <laughs> Does this... Well, <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> that's not going to work either. I've just closed it down. Well done. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's a picture of a, a village which is called Hell. Um, and it's got all manner of skeletons, and uh, there's burning fires, and there's people being stabbed, and it, it, it's not a really nice image. <laughs> Any hope of (sighs) Um, (laughs) I think of all sorts of jokes, but when you put on the spot, they just (laughs) None of the clean ones come to mind. So anyway, whether you're inspired by medieval art, TV series, movies, uh, for better or worse, the images and the ideas that come to our mind, there we go, there's a good, good view of heaven, uh, hell, sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's got all the sins, it's got murder with knives, it's got uh, playing cards up there, it's got meat grinders, and, and so people is it any wonder that people have weird ideas about what heaven and hell are? Okay, let, let's, let's take that one off. Uh, so some of these ideas come from the Bible. But many, many, many ideas that we have about heaven and hell are just straight up wrong. Uh, they're wrong and, and some of them supposedly come from the Bible. When you actually go to the Bible passages that people quote, they actually say something different to what you thought it was saying. And so what we actually have here is two views of heaven and hell. The first one I'll call the traditional view and the second one the biblical view and we got, we're going to have to go through these to, to sort out uh, what's true and what's not. So let's have a look at the traditional view. The t- traditional view is that we're living an earthly life in our present age. It's not a bad life, we're cruising along. Uh, it's a physical world, it's not the worst place in the world, it's just full of sin and death and corruption and we're all going to die. So who's, are we all happy with that? And so what happens when we die is then, then, then we have what, what I like to call the password moment. You know, or, or the pearly gates moment. We meet Peter and he says, what's the password? And if we know the pa- guess what? What's the password? Well, if you're a Pentecostal, it's the sinner's prayer. You know, If you said the sinner's prayer that you're in. I give my heart to Jesus and therefore, you know, now I've given Jesus my heart, I can do whatever I like until I get to heaven and say... That's the password. Or if, you're, if you've got a Catholic or a, a Lutheran background, possibly baptism or, or christening is the password to get into heaven. If you've been baptised, then that, that's, that's in. Uh, other churches, that there may be a ritual of uh, something like confirmation in the Catholic Church. Um, there are other rituals that people undergo. Uh, even because I was brought up a, as a Catholic, and pe- Have you ever heard the term lapsed Catholic? Yeah. It means you're a Catholic, it's just you don't care and, and you don't do anything about it but you still get to call yourself a Catholic. And the idea is there that there's, there's some sort of hereditary bond. Your parents were Catholic, you're a Catholic, no worries. Just say Catholic when you get to the pearly gates and they'll let you in. Um, and whatever you've done, you know most of the mafia are Catholic. Um, and so you sort of think, whoa, does that really work? And so we've got this password moment, which depends on whether we've, we've had a ritual which has given us the password. And so from there, if you know the password, then you get ushered into heaven. And you spend eternity sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Or, or the other view of heaven. Uh, uh, who's heard this one yeah, Heaven is basically a 24-7 eternal praise service. I mean, that's it. We're, we're stuck for eternity with our hands in the air, watching a screen with the words of the songs on it. I mean, who doesn't want to go to heaven already? I mean, it's bad enough in the morning you've got three songs and your arms are tied by the end of that. And so we've got this idea that, okay, our eternity is going to be spent in heaven in a, a non-physical place, playing a non-physical harp, um, for non-physically ever. Um. And of course, if you don't know the password, then the trap door opens, and you are immersed in a lake or a sea of fire, screaming torment at the top of your lungs for the rest of your life in a non-physical way. Of course, because hell is a, a spiritual place of torment and, and torture, and you know it doesn't sound. When you die, it sounds as though it might be best to go nowhere, doesn't it? but this is the traditional view that people go to either heaven or hell at the end of their lives based on whether or not they actually knew the password and so this is what I'd say about this particular view this traditional view there are parts and pieces of it that come from the Bible but I think the best thing we can say about it is that it's actually quite inadequate in describing what the Bible tells us about heaven and hell and the importance of us actually knowing what it's about. And so, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I've had to explain my faith to people, a picture like that of heaven and hell, heaven and hell, sorry, can be one of the biggest stumbling blocks to actually getting people to accept the Christian faith because they look at that and they think, well that's ridiculous. Why would I change my lifestyle to sit on a cloud in a spiritual sense and do nothing for the rest of eternity even though there's no worry, there's no, there's no strife. And I saw a cartoon the other day, two, two people sitting on clouds playing harps and one of them says to the other, oh, I miss stress. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we actually need to look at not only how we view it but how we can actually present the biblical view of heaven and hell to people who are looking to faith because let me tell you this isn't it this isn't what God has planned this isn't even what he says happens and although the concepts of heaven and hell are actually difficult so even though this particular view isn't the whole picture and is quite misleading. It doesn't mean that the whole idea of heaven and hell isn't actually a tricky one. But I think it's important to remove all the obstacles that we can. So okay, now we're going to look at the next one. This is the biblical view. Now, As you can see, it's a little more complicated, so we're going to have a, a, a bit more time to wander around in this and explain what it means. Now, Before anybody gets upset, this isn't actually something new theologically. I haven't discovered a heresy here and I'm bringing it to you just so that I can play with your minds. If you read your Bible, and in fact if you actually think about what you know about the Bible, you'll realise that you do already understand most of this. So we were created in the image of God. So what does that mean? We are representations of the Creator to the world. And the way that we fulfil this vocation that we have is by intimacy, close relationship, trust and obedience to the Creator. Because that's what we were created for. And we were, if we read in the Bible, we discover that that is what we were created to do and that works really well for about two and a half pages. Which is a little upsetting, really. Humanity takes a terrible turn, and everything suddenly hinges on a choice of sin and selfishness. And it's interesting that the Bible closely links the sin of humanity with our experience of death. Because the word death in the Bible is actually much broader than what we think of as death. You'll notice that first one there says sin and death. You sort of think, well, nobody died. But we did, because in the Bible, the authors refer to death as relational death, spiritual death, and physical death. And these things are actually quite closely interwoven and the Bible wraps it all up into one. And so what we find is that humanity is set on this bottom trajectory here, living death. So if anybody's ever worried about watching zombie movies, don't, it's scriptural. We are the living dead. And we are destroying this world bit by bit, just as World War Z and all the other things show that we're doing, although perhaps not in quite as graphic a fashion. So uh, if anybody says you shouldn't watch zombie movies, you can say, no, just look at the Bible. We are the living dead. It's quite all right. <laughs> that doesn't mean you have to walk out of here and, uh, and watch one. But. So, OK, so... This, this is our, our course but if you, if you look at that you sort of think well, is that what God planned? It, was that God's plan for humanity? So we can see that it's not how things are supposed to be and the biblical view is that death for humans is an invader and an enemy in God's good world. It's actually a frustration of God's ultimate plan for human beings. So, Jesus comes onto the scene and He takes the sins of humanity dying in our place and resurrecting from the dead, thereby opening up a whole new way of being human through salvation. So even though we're the living dead, we can actually take a step into eternal life by accepting the fact that Jesus died for our sins. So the sinner's prayer is important, but it's not actually a password moment. It's the first step in a journey. And so we can journey from the living dead to eternal life and we have a choice that choice, that that intersection there is a choice we can continue living until we die and enter the grave and we'll talk about that in a moment and be permanently separated from God or we can make a choice to accept the salvation that Jesus has purchased for us and enter eternal life now have you noticed here that Eternal life and living death are in that space called the present age. So what does that tell you about heaven and hell? They are not things that we can look forward to or not in the future. They are things that exist in the, in the present right here and now. Heaven and hell, eternal life and eternal separation from God are here and now in our lives. As soon as we choose Jesus, we actually choose eternal life and therefore we choose heaven. And how that interaction with heaven goes, you're going to have to wait two weeks to find out because that's a very important part of the story, but how we actually interact with heaven. But I can't go into that now. We, we just don't have time. Okay, so in other words, hell is not some sort of surprise twist at the end of the game. You get to the end there, oh, sorry, bad luck, hell for you. It's actually a a trajectory that we're already on. The shape of your life, if it's away from God's grace, from God's love and his goodness, then you're going to get precisely what you want. And death is simply another step on the way to getting what you've asked for. You're on that trajectory, not because God put you on that trajectory, not because that's, that's the way you have to go, because you have made a choice, because you want to go to hell. And so hell is actually a, pl- a place that people, or a, a, a state of mind or a state of being that people are aiming for. People want to go there. The, there are some great biblical examples of that, but probably won't get into that in two, two weeks. Is anybody coming back in a couple of weeks? <laughs> this is going to be one of those series with the, with the biggest cliffhanger at the end. Uh, I got a TV writer to help me with this. Um, so, Okay. So of course on the flip side eternal life is actually something that begins now and Jesus makes this very clear and so whatever heaven is it is a future continuation of something that we are supposed to have access to right now and this all happens before we die whether we live a living death or whether we live an eternal life. We have physical death and then we have the theological term for life after death which is called the intermediate state. Has anybody ever heard of the intermediate state before this morning? Me neither. Um, I obviously don't read a lot of theological textbooks so I had to drag one out and have a look at it. And yes, theologians refer to it as the intermediate state. We refer to it as life after death. And there is a huge amount of uh, scriptural study on this because there are only about four passages in the Bible that talk about it. You sort of think there'd be a lot on life after death but there are only about four passages and we'll look at those in the weeks to come. Uh, (laughs) The only detail I give us is to say that if I belong to Christ, after death I am with Christ. That's all the Bible says and it says that it's a temporary state, it's not the end game. And the same thing goes for people who have rejected Christ, or at least rejected what God has revealed about himself to them. They go to the grave. The Greek word for that, of course, is Hades. And about what happens to unbelievers after death, before the next stage, there is actually zero detail in the Bible. It says nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, let's finish. No. So, uh, they just go to the grave. That's all we know. And uh, so what the Bible is actually mostly interested in, what the Bible actually talks about more than anything else is not life after death, but life after life after death. Did you get that? Okay, so life after life after death is what happens upon Jesus' return and bringing final judgment and setting things right in our world and the final resurrection. So this is the age to come. Scripture is pretty clear that resurrection is not a fate only for believers in the future, but literally every human will be re-embodied in some sort of transformed physical existence. You thinks that sounds a bit like the Twilight Zone? So if it does, this is just one of those things where truth is stranger than fiction. Because the whole of our faith is built on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead in a formed physical experience as a precursor or as the, as the starting point for what the whole human race is destined for. So the trajectory of your life before you die determines your fate after you die in the age to come. So in God's new creation, in a new, renewed, restored heaven and earth, we're told about two different sorts of people. Those who reign and rule with God, exploring and flourishing in this new world, and those who exist in a state of, well, we don't know what state they live in. The Bible uses lots of imagery to describe the people on this trajectory. There are images of fire, images